2: Two pitch. Swing
0: a Deep
3: left.
1: Way All right, welcome back to another episode of the 90th percentile. This is your host, Jeff Ponce. Alongside me, as always, is my co-host, Matt Pajak. We got another guest this week. We're bringing it back. More guests. The people like guests, Matt. So I'm going to turn it over to you.
2: Only when it's good people. Only when it's good, people. Uh, Here we have the one, the only, the legend, Huntington Beach, California, Ben Madure. Half Italian, half Mexican. (laughs) Listen, this is one of the greatest coaches in American amateur sports history. And not a lot of people know that because he doesn't really leave Southern California except to go win the NHSI in North Carolina. He's not the kind of guy who's going to get on stage. Look, just just let me monologue here. He's not the kind of guy that's going to get on stage at a ABCA conference. You know, he's he's not an attention seeking guy uh, by any means. But uh, he truly is one of the all time greats when it comes to coaching young men uh, and running a program. Because it, honestly, that's that's two different. Uh, blanking on the word. I'm getting old. Uh, it's two different disciplines within, there we go. I got it. Just took me a second. takes me a few extra seconds these days. It's two different disciplines, uh, leading young men and running a program. Uh, and there's many other disciplines involved in running a successful high school sports program, baseball program, definitely in orange County. Uh, Ben <clears throat> Benji, I'm going to stop calling you Ben. Cause that's, that's, a that's only on friendly terms. And right so, now this is all business. <laughs> <laughs> Benjamin Madera, welcome to the show.
3: <laughs> thank you, thank you. And I, if you are gonna call me Ben again, I was gonna, I was gonna hit leave on this Zoom call. But that's, I'm, I'm glad you switched to Benji. Although I will tell you this, Benji is tough at 49. It's tough to be a 49 year old Benji. So, like my wife <laughs> called Benjamin I, at Starbucks, I say Benjamin. So, but we can stick with Benji. That's 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 what it's it's what it's always been.
1: Hey, okay. I'll be honest with you, man. It's tough being a G off at pretty much any age. <laughs> right. And it's getting harder because like I walk into places and I, I don't know if there's just no kids named Jeff with a G any longer. Right. But anybody under like the age of 25 has no idea how to pronounce okay. first
3: name that's, right. a, that's an old that's like Mildred. That's like an old person's name right there. That's that's it the old spelling, Jeff. So. <laughs> Mildred.
2: <laughs> I'm Mildred a beat. <laughs> yeah uh benji if if for some reason you did dip, it's okay. we got a backup guest lined up. Uh, so okay, good. good. Maybe just as good. Maybe <laughs> just as good. No, I'm just kidding, but anyway, uh, Huntington Beach High School, uh you've been there for twenty four ish years, recently won your four hundredth career game. Uh, if the name's Colin Ballister, Big leaguer, Hank Conger, Big leaguer, Noah Davis, current big leaguer. Nick Prado, current big leaguer. Hagan Danner made his big league debut last year. Uh, ring a bell. They all have one thing in common. They played for Benji Madure at Huntington Beach High School. Many other draft guys over the years. Most recently, first rounder, Ralphie Velazquez. And on the current roster and at any given time in the program, dozen plus Division one talents. Uh, quite the program you got over there. Uh, and, and quite the success and the uh, the tapestry, if you will, that you've had over the past 20-plus years. Before we get into any of that, we want to talk about longevity. <clears throat> this is the youngest. This right here, Exhibit A, for anybody who's listening to this. You can't see it, so just imagine this. This is the youngest-looking mid- to late 40-year-old you'll ever see in your life and he has many secrets and he promised to share them at the forefront of this pod so without further ado is ipono hawaiian street food cafe the fountain of youth
3: i love ipono don't get me wrong and then the time that i went i was very impressed super good for sure not the fountain of youth <laughs> if, if if i ate there the way you guys eat there, which is Sean, Sean Campbell and and Matt come out and test us, and they that's their first stop, and it's not their only stop either. I think they go there three or four times when they're there. Uh, <laughs> I, would, I would have already uh, had uh, a blockage, uh, uh, an art artery, an artery blockage in my heart if I ate there as much as these guys did. So no, it is not to answer the question. It's good, it's good, but it'll kill you.
2: It is pretty good. I've moved past trying to get Capriotis to sponsor this podcast. So now we're on to iPono. Oh,
1: shoot. I didn't know. Can you, can you give me some that. background? Yeah. I think I've seen pictures maybe a while ago, but
2: oh, I'm, not, I'm not familiar.
1: The listeners and I don't know iPono. It so
2: is, it cool. is electric, but I do want to talk about how you stay looking so young. Um, And I know a lot of it.
3: it's not eating Hawaiian street food for sure. Yeah. A
2: lot of it has to do with living out West, uh, in, in all those crazy trends that you guys go through that do actually work. Um, bare feet, cold tubs, the ocean, red light. Talk to us about all of the ways that you are deliberate about your health and your well-being because I think this translates beyond your role as a coach, but just into like, Hey, if anybody's listening to this, maybe there's some tips you can pick up.
3: Right. I mean, it started, it started with my wife. I I thought I was decently healthy before I was eating like when I was single, I I like to cook. And so I was always making home cooked meals and, you know, into the whole, you know, protein thing and superfoods and all of that. And then when I met my wife, it just kind of took off because she was really, really into the same thing times 10. Um, And you know, after we had our second daughter, we decided, or she decided, because she had a bunch of food allergies, to go vegan. Um, and so that it's kind of like that line from Pulp Fiction: "Like my my girlfriend's a vegetarian," which makes basically makes me a vegetarian. So she went vegan. So I semi went vegan. Uh, I wasn't fully committed <laughs> to that, but it, it introduced me to the world of vegetables in a different way that I didn't know was possible. Um, and that kind of you know, with working out and and doing the beach workouts with the boys and um you know just drinking quality water and uh, dr- quality amounts of water and and monitoring my sleep and doing all that it, it's kind of gone through that but then then we went then we stepped it up then we stepped it up we got a sauna in our room an infrared sauna and so going into the sauna every night uh for about 45 minutes and you know 140 degree heat and sweating um is freaking awesome way to end the night and then most recently we got a cold plunge in our backyard so it's on at night 41 degree water in the morning um eating good foods uh drink a lot of water uh it's been pretty good you know and feeling i,
2: I feel what's that feeling the earth with your bare feet
3: feeling the earth grounding ourselves with the earth you know my wife and i were talking about last night and it's more of like being in the sauna and being you know the effects of the heat and the cold and all of that but it's mostly just like the being intentional with just meditating and and being with the people that you love and just enjoying that time and not worrying about the stresses of the day obviously we'll sit there and talk about what happened throughout the day but it's more of just enjoying being present with the people that you love. I think that is a huge part and, and and coaches and people in the professional world, I think take that for granted more than anything. Uh, They bring their work home and it's like constantly on their mind. Like you have to have some time of just stillness and and quiet and peace with, with the people that you love for you to keep going.
2: Yeah. Having known you for eight years, uh, I think pretty much everything that you just outlined there uh, does a pretty good job of explaining why, when you walked into the ballpark, Uh, that first time when I met you, I thought you were like 25, um, (laughs) but, uh, yeah, Jeff, I don't know if you had any thoughts on that. Yeah. We're, we're not talking about sandwiches today. No, we'll talk about sandwiches later, but,
1: (laughs) but I mean, uh, you know, I'm, I'm certainly not following, um, (laughs) guidelines, um, at certain times in my life I, I have, um, I was actually vegan for a few months recently. And I enjoyed it. There were times, though, that I definitely missed, like meat, right? Particularly right. like steak, <laughs>
3: yep. right? You know. And then, and then when I went back to eating steak, now we were vegan for a while. And then when I went back yeah. to eating steak, like I used to eat steak, then I'd get the meat sweats at night. Wow. Meat sweats are real, um, and especially when you haven't had it in a while, like just wake up, like your the, like your room was set at the thermostat was set at ninety. Um, and you don't even know why. Um, and so that, I, you know, like we do eat meat, but it's gotta be organic and it has to be grass fed. We do eat chicken. Uh, my wife doesn't, but my, uh, I have four daughters and we all, you know, we, eat we eat all just quality stuff. Um, uh, because you know, America has some bad stuff out there that they're allowing people to eat. And we mm-hmm. don't subscribe to that at all. So. Yeah, no, I,
1: uh, I totally agree. And I, I feel like once I, once I was in the mode of doing it, like it wasn't, it wasn't a bad adjustment and, right. uh, right. you know, I felt like energy wise, all that sort of thing. It didn't hurt any of my workouts. I wasn't concerned with that sort of thing. And there's plenty of other ways to get, right. to get routine too. So no, I, uh, I find that to be interesting because I, I, I would say that like, I have a very, uh, 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 plant-based diet, but you know, I do supplement with some meats here and there. Yep. I have, I have, I have my things I chase. Matt knows what I'm talking. I'm proud of you, Jeff. Of
2: <laughs> <It's> G off, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Benji. If you could pick one of those things that you ran down for the people listening that are like, "Oh my gosh, I don't do any of those things." What's what's a good gateway drug into uh, being better about your health and well being?
3: Right, kale. I think kale is the gateway drug to better health and well being. Like, find a way. Like, there is so tacos, for example, right, you're gonna have tacos, you've had, you've judged the best tacos across America. Well, we have tacos, and we and, and believe me, the tacos will taste exactly like the tacos that you would get at a at a Mexican restaurant, but there's cauliflower and kale and beans. And then the taco meat made the way you know, good restaurants make taco meat. So everything is, you know, we incorporate, we try to incorporate greens into everything that we have. And whether it's pasta or or you know uh, sandwiches, like they made chicken chicken sandwiches for the girls this morning, and there was like a kale salad on top of the chicken in between two pieces of bread, and they love it. Um, like I hear parents say it all the time, like how do you get them to eat it? Like you just give it to them. Like you make, <laughs> I don't know, you make it. You you make it. That's what it is. Like it's it's normal um my kids will walk around they'll crack a cucumber they'll just have a a whole cucumber nothing on it and just bite into it like it's an apple and people stare at them like they're they're aliens you know like people think that's the weirdest thing in the world that they're eating it like you don't have any ranch with that there's no you don't you know it's not in a salad you're just eating a cucumber yeah just eating a cucumber you know instead of cheese it's how about an apple i i mean it's not that hard This isn't that hard. Just eat real foods. And so to answer your question, eat real foods. I haven't had fast food in 20. Some kid asked me that the other day. When's the last time you had fast food? And I said, I remember going to Del Taco in 2008 after a Dodger game. Um, And that was the last time. And it was only because it was the only place that was open. And uh, I had a hard time choking it down. So eat real foods, not the fast variety.
2: Yeah, let me just say, uh, you know, while Ipono is not fast food per se, it's not necessarily the best thing for you. So the fact that this guy who just explained all of that went to Ipono with me and said <laughs> it was good. That's basically like a cosign that this is one of the best places you can go in America. Ipono that is That's
3: true. That's true. So you're, you're speaking the truth there. Yeah. Sorry. sorry. I shouldn't even come off negative on Ipono because it is it is it is a mecca.
2: It is a little bit of a mecca. Um, okay. So you talked about a little bit before <clears throat> spending time with the people that you care about and doing so and being present. Um, and yeah, that's, I think something that a lot of people struggle with in this day and age, especially with the phone at our fingertips at all times. I do want to talk about something that, uh, this is just a general feeling that I've had being around you for eight years. Um, the times that we've got to spend together is I- I've always felt, um, that like one, I, I appreciate you as a person. I think you're a good person. Uh, and I, I appreciate what you add to my life in that capacity. I've never played for you, but I do feel like at times, you know, you, you rub off on me a little bit as, as that coach figure. Um, but just talk about, you know, kind of how important it is, you know, to, to have people in your life that you care about and then to show the people that you care about, that you care about them. Uh, cause I, I definitely think that that's at the core of who you are as a person
3: yeah i mean that starts with my parents you know obviously that that i saw that my dad was a high school football coach my mom was a school counselor at at our high school um and so i saw at a very young age my dad's players being really really close to him and it's just something that i wanted but i i saw how much time my dad thought about his players at home you know Uh, obviously he was attentive to us obviously he cared about his family but he always was talking about his players um, and making jokes and and sending them gifts and being concerned and and the whole nine yards. So I think I got that. Um, it was kind of in me from a very young age uh, that I wanted to do that. I remember my buddy, Jeff Miller and I, Jeff, Jeff was a sports psych for many major league teams, but we, we played pony league baseball together and we played high school baseball together. And I remember in high school we're like hey we're going to take over this program we're going to take over poly we're going to be the coaches and this and that and it's like you don't really see many or you don't really hear many high school kids talking about coaching before they're even done with their high school career and that was just something that i felt like i was destined to do um, large part for my dad but obviously my high school coaches rubbed off on me and made me want to do that um, but as far like to answer your question as far as like doing this with the people that I love, like my assistant coaches and I have been together for, you know, up to coach Springston, my pitching coach for 20 years, uh, Bernie and Rue uh, since 2009 and then, and Brett obviously played for us. And then he came on in 2018. It's, it's rare to see a coaching staff that has stuck around and stayed together for that long. Um, and it's because we have each other's backs because we care about each other, but mostly we're all on the same mission. Um, you know, we're all on the same mission to help kids, uh, and care about kids. And I think I saw that in each one of those guys, uh, before, you know, or as we started to work together, it was just like, all right, we are all the, basically the same as far as wanting to help kids and help people. Um, coaches are just teachers that are, um, you know, that just they're teachers outside the classroom. That's all it is. And and my whole staff are, is just a group of really, really good teachers, um, that care, um, so I want to make sure that they know that I care about them. I, you know, I tell them I love them all the time. I'm sure they're sick of it. Um, but you know, I am okay with telling them I'm, I'm not afraid to tell them that I love them and hug them and, um, and be emotional with them. Um, because that's what real relationships are. And I think our kids see, uh, the coaching staff get along with each other. Um, not to be long winded here, but like my high school coaches, we're all best friends. Uh, Their sons are my best friends because we all played together. Coach Mack, Coach Trulock, Coach Graves, all of their boys were my age and we all grew up together and they all coached us. Um, That's rare. And I could it was just a family feeling. Um, And I, I think we have that at Huntington. You know, the coaches feel like family to me. And and, you know, that's just that's how a program. I feel like my program. I mean, maybe nowhere else, but my program is very family oriented.
2: Yeah, that's the uh, the Italian half of you rubbing off the family,
3: and Mexican now. I mean, no, you did it, did it. So. Goodness, yeah. this is, there is no shot of it being any other way, right?
2: Yeah, I do want to put a little footnote in that. In that you mentioned Jeff Miller, yeah. also a GF.
3: Yes, he is. He is a GF. For
2: sure, <laughs> yeah. All right, um, four hundred wins is a lot of wins. It's like, it's like I don't know, Jeff, you, if you started counting right now, how long would it take you to get to four hundred? And this man right. has won that many games. Few minutes. <laughs> it would take a few minutes, and that's just that's just counting the numbers. All right, this guy, you know, and we know how long a baseball game lasts. Four hundred of those ended with the good team uh, up in the in the run column on the on the away team i don't know if that's how they they say it these days but he won those games 400 of them plus actually he's, he's counting at the moment um that when you consider the environment that you're in orange county uh it's probably the most competitive high school baseball in the entire country you got to deal with jay sarah you got to deal with harvard wesley you got to deal with orange lutheran you got to deal with corona you got to deal with santa margarita you got to deal with notre dame like your first two games of the year, you rolled out against Levi Sterling, who's potentially a first-round draft prospect this year. And then the second game, you got Corona's number two because their number one pitch for the USA 18-year national team last summer. Their number two is a junior who's committed to uh, Vanderbilt, who topped what, 96 or 97?
3: He was 98 that night, and I think he touched 99. So, yeah, it was it was a tough night. It was tough.
2: Okay, so that's what you're up against uh, year over year, it's not like a one year anomaly, and 400 wins is a lot of wins. So, I mean, basically, if you you just do a little bit of napkin math here, you could multiply your win total by two and you really have 800 wins. No, it doesn't work like that. No, um, I wish. I wish. <laughs> what's it like to have to play those guys, uh, consistently over the course of your schedule and then year over year?
3: I hate it. Honestly, I hate it. It's, it's, it's like it, I lose sleep over it. Um, I wake up with a sick feeling in my stomach every every time that we got to play each other. I usually send a text message to uh them the day of and and I talk a little trash just to kind of prime the pump a little bit just to like that that initial hit uh to kind of make me feel good about the day, but like leading up to that it's it is definitely on my mind. Um and I, you know, like And I say that half jokingly, but it is, it's tough. It's, it's, it's really, really hard every single time we step out on the field. And you would think after doing it for as long as I've done it, you get used to it. I never get used to it. Like I never, I never lose the butterflies. Uh, I'm never totally comfortable. Um, It's just one of those things where uh, we are very, very competitive here in orange County. Um, And it's, you know, we want to get after each other and playing tough teams like that is, it's what makes you, you know, it makes you really, really good. Um, but it doesn't, you know, I don't know how good it is for my heart. Um, you know, it, it gives me indigestion a lot and I lose a lot of sleep. So uh, it's tough. And I, and thank you for the 400 wins thing. But like it took 200, it took 15 years to win 200 games. It was an absolute grind. It took 10 years to win 100 um, it was an absolute grind um, and it was trying to find out who I was as a coach trying to figure out how to get Huntington on the map um, it was trial and error I didn't really know what the heck I was doing um, and so I was just trying to figure out my way um, so it, it really has been a, an uphill battle like I know it seems like Huntington's just cruising and and we're, we're good year in and year out but for a while there, I didn't know if I was cut out for it. To be honest with you, I, I was like, "Man, this is this is awful. This is really really hard." Um, so there's, you know, in those 402 wins, by the way, 402, uh, there are 200 270 losses, um, and it took uh, I think it took like 14 years to get above 500. If that gives you any any background on it. It was, it was a long uphill battle and, and like, honestly, the losses, the losses are what I think made us. I think the losses are what made us a a good coaching staff. Uh, it, the losses made me a, a humble, a humble man. Uh, and it made me a good, a better man. The wins wins. You don't, you know, you read this all the time. You don't really learn that much from wins and that's true. It is true. You learn a lot about yourself and your team from losses and believe me, we got a share of them.
4: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed.
1: What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Matt, if I can jump in here for a second. Um, You you had mentioned, you know, it took you 15 years to to break 500. Obviously, there's been quite a bit of success since. What, What was the tipping
3: point? Uh, I think we started to, well, one, uh, the Ocean View Little League won the Little League World Series in 2011. Um, and so they were in the sixth grade at that point. Um, but they had also had gone to, you know, the step before the, the Little League World Series the year before. And in those years, we were doing camps um, at that Little League. Uh, Rich Amaral, former big leaguer, uh, was kind of entrenched in that Little League. Uh, we hit it off. Um, early in my career and, you know, his boys were going to come to Huntington bow graduated from Huntington 2009. Um, And so right about that time we were just in with the little leagues and that little league was the best at the time. So we felt this kind of momentum shifting towards away from the other schools at Huntington and in, we just started to get better players. Um, And then our coaching staff kind of gelled together. We, we found some stability there. Um, And uniformity there where we can like, you know, good practice planning and and establish a system. Um, You know, we had we we finally had, you know, the same coaching staff year after year. We had a feeder team in place. Um, It just it just took a while to build all of that. We got the infrastructure all set. And uh, and then from that point, it started to uh, develop into what it is now. Um, But, you know, it was really getting into the little leagues and 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 getting them, you know, to come to Huntington.
2: Yeah, and we're gonna get a lot more into the weeds on a lot of different things that you kind of briefly grazed on there, um, because a lot it all comes into longevity, right? And like, you know, you you talked about it a little bit. It's it's not you know you're going up against J. Sarah and Corona and all those other schools. Like they all have really talented rosters. You've got a talented roster year over year, and it's not super easy. Everyone thinks it's easy when you just got a bunch of D one guys on your roster. I mean, if anything, that makes it harder because there's pressure to win and then you've got to make it work with all the different moving pieces. So talk about that in a second, but before we do that, I kind of want you to outline um, the foundation uh, for your program and, and the different things that you've built, you know, over the years and kind of discovered what are your pillars as a head coach? You might not call them that, um, that you really instill in your program and that are just kind of like, you know, constants and then also non-negotiables, I
3: guess, on your end. We we actually do call them pillars. So it's, it's funny that you said that, uh, every kid, every kid has a wristband. Let me see if I can get it on camera here. Every kid has a wristband and it has the four pillars written on it. You can see belief, uh, passion, gratitude and discipline are, are, are the four pillars and everybody has that on their wrist and they get to see it every day. And, I'm sure they get sick of us talking about it. I'm sure they get sick. Like, we bo- I bombard them. I shouldn't even say we. I bombard them with texts and tweets and posts about, um, you know, some about baseball, but mostly about just being a good person and being a good teammate and how you handle yourself off of the field, um, you know, being good to your parents, uh, being a good friend, you know, being good to your girlfriend, treating women the right way. Um, All of that is a part of our program and it's, you know, they, they get it ad nauseum for sure uh, because I feel like that's what we're here to do. Uh, I am here. I I believe I was put into this position to help uh, our boys become better men. Nothing about, I'm not here to teach them how to throw a, you know, throw a better slider or, or to base run or anything like that. Like that's part of it. Um, but I'm here to coach their hearts and I'm here to like, I'm really here to make them love each other and teach them how to love themselves and be good people. Um, so I think this wristband of, of being grateful uh, of having passion in whatever you do and believing in something bigger than yourself and then having the discipline to carry yourself um, you know, the right way is, is the most important thing. And I think if I hammer that home as much as possible, um then the byproduct is the what we do on the field you know the wins on the field um because I think that the more important thing is is what what are they going to turn out to be like I mean let's be realistic here I mean we talk about Nick and Hagen and those guys you know that's that's five kids that's five kids that played uh in the big leagues in 24 years from Huntington so that's what I don't know 0.5 percent of all the kids that have come through here they're more than likely going to be professional in something other than baseball. So that means they will be done with baseball. If they're lucky when they're 22 years old, right. If they're lucky enough to play college baseball at 22 and if they live to 82, you know, that's 60 years without baseball. So that's 60 years to be a better husband, a better father. And like, that's what really is going to matter. And I, I feel like I can help them uh, get there or at least be a part of, of them improving as a person.
2: Um. Yeah, and I, I think what you just outlined there really sets the table for this next one. Uh, and, and I think if you've got a really strong, like, you. it's not like you're reading off a piece of paper there. I mean, it's, like that's, that's pretty pretty well drilled in upstairs. Um, and it contributes to, you know, why you've had the longevity that you had or that you have. You have currently, not you had, you're still right. active. Um, I not that it's really hard to be a high school coach in, in any sport. Um, and you know, I've I've recently coined the term you got high school coached, uh, when someone gets pushed out of a program, you know, for whatever reason, maybe there's, you know, a parent or a kid that's unhappy and and they come up with some nonsense and ultimately it gets a coach pushed out. Um, you know, some of it, maybe it's fair, some of it not entirely fair, but I mean, which is it's kind of the nature of the business when you're in that position is that ultimately you're probably going to upset somebody at some point. And uh, some people just draw the, the short straw on that end. But uh, anyway, talk about your approach uh, to communication and discipline, because I feel like that's where a lot of people get into hot water and then end up getting high school coached. Um, it's two critical areas as a coach. It's something you got to do every single day. Um, and... Not again. Not saying you've never upset anybody, but 24 years in the same place, you're probably doing more things right on the front of communication and discipline than wrong. Um, just kind of talk about your approach on that.
3: I mean, it start. You're right. It starts with communication, and it starts with uh, our opening meeting that we have with our parents uh, every every year. We start in September, and there's a meeting where every parent has to be there. Um, and we just lay out the expectations of the program. Um, and I think people understand how the program is at this point. Like it's, you, you have to be really good to get onto the field. You gotta be really good to just like make the program. Um, and you have to be good in multiple ways. You have to be a good person. You have to be a good student. Like you have to, there, there is a a level that you have to, uh, you know, to, to be at and, and to maintain while you're in the program. But I do tell the parents at the beginning, like, look, I'm going to write a lineup. We have 30. Now this is us. We have a big roster. We have 33 kids on the varsity roster. Um, so I'm going to write a lineup and let's say we DH for the pitcher. That's 10 kids, 10 out of ten out of the 33 that are going to start the game. So right at the very beginning of the game, I got 23 kids pissed at me, right? Because they're going to look up and they're not going to see their name on the lineup. Now they have two parents, most of them, right? So 23 times two is 46, 46 plus 23. there's 69. I have 70 people pissed at me before the game even starts. Right. And so I tell them that I, I, I tell all the parents that like, this is my life. This is my life. I have. And now if you invite grandma, grandpa and the aunts and the uncles and some friends, like, here we go. We got a hundred people that are willing to come down to the dugout and cuss me out and yell at me and tell me that I don't know what the heck I'm doing and, and everything else. And i am you know, I love the, he's playing politics. I don't even know what that means. Plain politics like if they only knew me if they only knew me well enough that I want to win so badly that I don't care at all about uh you know what what your kids you know what the dad paid or if he what he donated or anything like that I don't care about that I really don't at all um and I tell them and I say this in the nicest way possible and I mean this I I don't I don't want to sound cocky when I say this but I I do tell them this. I say, look, if I have one gift as a coach and my gift is, I really don't care if you're mad at me. Like it doesn't bother. I sleep well at night. Like I, I I go home. I don't even think about it one time about a parent being mad at me because I can't care. And if I do care about a parent being mad that I didn't put their son in, then I'll start playing kids that don't really deserve to be in the lineup. Like Johnny, Johnny's parents are mad at me. Well, Johnny hasn't, Johnny's hitting a buck 20 and every time he gets into the game, he makes an error, right? Or, or little Billy, you know, every time he gets out on the mound, he walks the leadoff guy. Like, okay, I, I get it. You, you're mad at me that he's not playing, but if Billy and Johnny were better, they'd be in the front, in the, in the starting nine or 10. Right. So is the communication with the parents from the beginning, like I will always and forever play the best kids possible, you know, to give us the best chance of winning. And if your kid's in that, then he's going to play. And if he's not, he won't. And uh, I think from the beginning, I've said the exact same thing. Um, and I think they understand that. Now, with that being said, we have meetings with kids all the time. We explain to kids why they're not in the lineup. We explain to kids why they have a chance of being in the lineup, why they're in the lineup. We clearly define their roles. We clearly define, you know, what their expectations are um, and what, if they're get, getting better or what they need to improve on. And so I think, um, constantly communicating with people um, is the biggest way of diffusing all of that anger and um, you know frustration from parents. Will there always be? Yes, of course, you know. But for the most part, I think the parents see that we care about their kid um, and we want the best for them. But we we do have integrity when it comes to playing time, and it's just hey, the best player is going to play.
2: Yeah. And, uh, you know, just talking about communication for a second, it's like, I think it's just such an important thing in life in general, right? Whether you're running a high school baseball program or in your relationships or at work or whatever it might be. And I feel like so many people miss and just not communicating enough.
3: I I think people are afraid to people are afraid to hurt feelings. People are afraid to uh, be truthful, um, you know, and that's, I, I do also say that to parents are like, look, we could talk about your kid, but you're going to get the truth. And sometimes you don't want to hear it. Like, you know, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to lie to your kid. I'm not going to pump your kid up and tell him he's great. If he's not, I'm not going to tell him he's doing well. If he's not, I'll be the first to congratulate him. I'll be the first to tell him he's doing something right but I'm also going to get on them about doing things the wrong way. And I think that's what, that's what love is, right? What true love is what you like, you're not going to let your, I'm not going to let my daughters settle. Uh, you know, my, my daughter, the other day, she's at high school, she's at Huntington. And uh, she's like, well, I got a 74 on my geometry test. And she kind of had a smile on her face and I'm like, is that what you're shooting for? Like that, that's not good. You know, that that isn't good enough. Like that isn't your best, you know? And, and um you know, I, because I love her because I want her to try hard. I want her to do her best. And I, and I feel the same way uh, about our players. Like, Hey, this, this isn't your best work. Let, let's, let's shoot for your best work. And uh, you know, if parents can't see that, um, you know, then th- that's their fault. But like for, I know how I care about my players and I know what I'm, I know what my intentions are.
2: No doubt. And, the last part of this question and we'll get off the, the whole concept of being high school coached um, without going into any details. Uh, you, this can be just like a yes or no question. Are there tough decisions that you reflect upon over the course of your 20 plus years as a head coach at Huntington beach that had you gone the other way with your decision, right? You're, you're weighing a and B you chose a, but had you gone B maybe you're not st- still currently the head coach at Huntington beach. Uh, Do you ever reflect on that? Are there things out there in your head?
3: All the time, all the time, because in my, in my, well, to start my fourth year, before the year started, I told my team, this is my last year if we don't win, because I'm clearly not the coach that I thought I was. So if we don't, we don't produce because we are just terrible the first three years. Um, I kind of drew the line in the sand, like, hey, we got to win or I'm out um and thankfully we won a league title uh but then in my but it just wasn't great here at Huntington like the field we had to share our field we had a freaking soccer goal in center field all the way up into February like we had literally no grass um no one cared about baseball baseball was not the sport at Huntington at all um they didn't care about me they didn't care about our program it was it was pretty bad and at the time Edison was really really good and Edison is really good right now I'm not saying that they aren't but at the time they were really good their field they had a clubhouse they had a great field um, and it was just so much more appealing than than Huntington and the head coach at the time Matt moziello resigned uh, he was moving to like inland to buy a big house um, and he said hey you know maybe you should interview for the Edison job like I think it'd be good and I remember going and I talked to my I talked to my mom and I talked to my best friends and they're like take it go, you know, like it, you don't owe anything to Huntington and, you know, they're, they're obviously not supporting you all that much. And your field's a mess and, you know, you go and take over the program at Edison. And I just, and I, I, I really, it took me a while to make that decision, whether I was going to go, go try to be the coach at Edison. Um, and I decided to stay at Huntington and I decided to stay at Huntington for the main reason that I wanted to coach Hank his senior year. Um, and that was, that was the big deciding factor along with, Uh, My mom said something about my dad's, you know, sticking with the same school. You know, he stayed at the school, same school that he started at 38 years. And so I just like, you know what? Uh, You know, I I feel like Huntington is, is in my bones. It's where I started. I got, I'm going to see this through. And um, I stayed there. And I remember my best friend, Rusty Mack said, uh, he's like, you're an idiot. You're an idiot for staying at Huntington. He was like, he was my assistant coach. At the time, you're an idiot. Like, just let's go to Edison and do it over there. And and um, and I wouldn't do it. Um And recently, he came back to a game. I think it was three years ago, and he's like, I, "I'm going to admit this. I was totally wrong. I was totally wrong about it." You sticking at Huntington was the best thing you've ever done, and 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 that's true, a hundred percent. And I, I'm I'm so thankful that I'm I'm still here, and I made that decision to stay at HB because I could have walked away, and I think that's that's one thing I am proud of is that. I stuck with something that was miserable and there was no end in sight of how miserable it was going to stay. Um, and I stuck with it. And, and, and now we, now here we are.
2: Yeah. It's a little bit of what's reflected on the wristband. Um, yeah. You can kind of see where that might've
3: been born from. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I, I And I don't know how much belief I had. I don't know how much belief I had that it was going to get good. And maybe it was just, uh dumb you know ignorance it was just ignorance you know thinking yeah i can make i'm gonna make this good i'm gonna make this good um and i didn't know what i was doing but somehow it i lucked out someone's looking out for me for sure
2: yeah first three years uh not very good beginning of the fourth year uh if i don't win this year then i'm out of here and then very quietly (laughs) wins the league
3: (laughs) right right exactly (laughs) I guess
2: I'll hang around a little bit longer. (laughs)
3: Right, right.
2: Um, Okay, next question. Uh, in in me and Jeff, I believe, have had this conversation. I've had this conversation with a bunch of people over the past couple months with Bill Belichick no longer being the head coach of the New England Patriots, uh, me and Jeff's favorite team. Uh, On the NFL front, Bill is an all-time great, uh, and I think undoubtedly you can go across any – corner of football right now. And they'll tell you the reason why he's not currently head coach in the NFL is because his approach is a little bit antiquated and maybe it didn't jive with this latest generation of players. Um, So something that I want to kind of get, you know, your thoughts on as someone who's been dealing with high school kids for over 20 years and you've seen generations change, you've seen the world change, you've seen technological advances that have completely changed the way that kids communicate and the way that they, um, interact in person. um, Just kind of talk a little bit about how your approach has changed as the world has changed, how you've adapted um, to, you know, completely different 17, 16, 17, 18 year old than it was 10 years ago, 15 years ago.
3: Right. And I, you know, being, and I don't know if how good it was for me to be super young coach with young players with 17, 18 year olds. I I don't know if I was really showing them the way um, to be uh, mostly because I hadn't had the life experience that I have now. Um, and so I, I don't think I was giving them what they needed. Yeah. I, yeah. I was like, I'm sure they kind of looked up to me because I was young. I was single. It seemed I lived in Newport beach. Like, yeah, hey, coach is cool, man. Like he's that, that, that looks like a good life right there. Um, and and I'm you know there were good parts about that, but I wasn't teaching teenagers the right things to do. I mean, I had a big wad of chewing tobacco in my mouth, and you know, coming hungover to to games and and practices like oh, I wasn't the greatest role model for those kids at the time. But I'm sure they thought I was decently cool, right? Uh, but to answer your question, as far as like keeping up with them, I am an older father. Uh, I have an eight year old. I also have a 14 year old. Um, I, for the rest of my career here at Huntington, I will have a girl in high school uh, at Huntington beach high school. I'll have one of my daughters at Huntington. And this is the first year my daughter's a freshman and I have four daughters and they're all a couple years apart. So for the next 12 years, I'm going to have one of those kids at my school. Um, and so I get to keep up with all the lingo you know, all the words that they use now, you know, I, 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 I listen in and, and I try to be as cool as possible, but like, I, you know, they, I'm a, I'm an imposter whenever I talk to these teenagers, you know, they, they know, they know I'm old. They know, I don't know what the heck I'm talking about, but somehow, some way they, um you know, they, I, I find them around me. Um, and I think that's when I'll know uh, that when I need to give it up is when the kids start to avoid me. Um, but somehow, some way they end up around me and we're talking and, and I can carry a conversation, but I'm also like, I'm used to talking uh, to teenagers because I'm doing it at home. Um, and uh, I, know what's, I know what's in and what isn't right now. And so because of my daughters are gonna help me through that. Um, so I think my daughters are gonna keep me young. Um, I think my players are gonna keep me young. Uh, and I feel like I can just keep up with the times. Now, as far as like coaching them, I mix in a lot of old school ideas with new school techniques and, and I try to keep up. I'm, I'm a, I'm a lifetime learner. I want to get better. I don't think that my way is the best way. Always. I'm always trying to pick up on new things. Um, And so I'm, I am very adaptable. Uh, So uh, if I see something new that I like, uh, I'm going to go with it, whether I, it's against my old school mentality or not, Um, you know, I think discipline is discipline no matter what you can consider it old school or not. Like I think teenage boys need discipline. Um, And I don't think that's old school at all. That's just the way the world is. Um, So uh, I think by keeping that discipline um, and holding them to a high standard and keeping them accountable uh, you know, I don't, I don't think that it's antiquated at all to be a little bit old school.
2: Yeah. And, and I think, you know, just in terms of adaptability over the years and, and you hit on it there, you have a little bit of what they would call growth mindset or, you know, you're a little bit progressive in your thinking, you know, you could pull out all the different buzzwords for it. I think it's really important. Uh, and it's a time tested uh, hypothesis that how to stay young is to stay around young people and right. don't be judgmental of their way of life because it's different from your way of life. And that goes hand in hand with always learning. Uh, never stop reading you know, never stop being up to date on what's going on. And I think you do that, like you stay young and as long as you stay young, then you, you know, you can communicate with kids that are using lingo that most people wouldn't understand.
3: So um, well, let me, let me say this though, Jeff, I want your opinion on this Snapchat, Snapchat. Okay. This is the one thing that's like new school or whatever. I can't stand I can't get on board with it. I can't stand it. It's like, hey, this is how the teenagers communicate. There has been nothing, and I mean nothing but bad things coming from Snapchat. the fact that it could disappear, okay? When I first heard this, I thought it was a joke. You could take a picture and then it's gonna disappear, right? We all know where you all know where teenagers are going with that. Right. Like that, this is crazy. This is a crazy thought. Now I sound old. Now I sound like an antique. Uh, yeah. But like I, I give the I rip into my guys about Snapchat and, and you know, they take selfies, of, they take their little selfie and then they send it to their friends. They got their Starbucks cup and they're doing the pe What are you doing? And I'm posting my story. I'm like, no one cares about your story. No one cares about your story, your stupid story of you taking selfies like Let's get rid of the Snapchat, group chat, all of that stuff. Like if we're gonna if you're gonna so we had to make rules like hey, on your group chats, there's gotta be nothing but positive things or you know, there there's consequences in all of it. So I don't know how you guys feel about it, but like now I sound old. Now I sound no,
1: old. no, I mean I'm That's I'm using
2: Snapchat all the time.
3: Yeah,
1: exactly. I'm I'm forty two <laughs> and uh I missed a, a large chunk of that sort of stuff because I was too old for it and my kids, my oldest is 13. I got a 10. And I have an eight-year-old, too. Um, so you know, I kind of haven't hit that period yet, but it's a conversation I have to have with my oldest constantly of us monitoring usage and group chats and messages. And I think the thing that guys, girls, people out there don't necessarily understand at that age, too, is when you write something or you put something onto something that can be screenshotted, regardless of whether you delete it or not, you can hang out there for a long time. And yep. uh, as you said, with Snapchat, the first thing that came to my mind was like all the bad things that I've heard. <laughs> People get caught on with right. Snapchat, some that have come to the public space and some that have not, you know. Right. It, it's And, and you know, I, I remember being a 15, 16, 17, 18 year old kid and not making very good decisions uh, or saying things that 40, 41, 42 year old uh, version of myself would appreciate, so I think that's a big part of it too. It's just you know, think about your own longevity,
2: right? Longevity. Man, uh, let me just say I've got a lot of fond memories of Snapchat. It's all positives in my brain. I was a Snapchat hero back in college. All right, all wholesome things, okay. okay. In between classes, I'll go post up, and I'd be like, "All right, let's see what can I draw today." So I go on there, I draw like Mike Wazowski from Monsters Inc., and I would send it to everybody, right? And then it was like. Yeah, I get out of my next class and I would see like 17 people like screenshot it. I'm like, all right, let's do this again next week. So I draw like um, Timon from The Lion King it's like Jack Skellington when it was like around Halloween. Uh, they had these filters back then where like, oh, my gosh, you'd have like a you could have I like a gopher.
3: A I struck a nerve with Matt. All I had yeah. to do was-
2: <laughs> It'd be like this gopher and like your eyes would be like imposed into the gopher. And he'd be like looking around and like, you'd have your like mouth there, whatever. And then like, it would change oh, your voice. So I would like record and I would just say the most ridiculous stuff. And uh, it was just hilarious to me. I could sit there and watch my own recordings and just die laughing. I still have like in the archives on my hard drive, some of these saved. Cause I just, I'll show them to you someday. Anyway, Snapchat retired from it in 2018. My one run in with Snapchat back in like 2020, 2021, <laughs> 22, something like that. I saw the kids were using it. This is how they were doing it. They would take like a, a selfie, but they'd like clip like a part of their head and then it would be like the sky. And then there wouldn't be like a caption and they would
3: just send it. No, that's, I was like, that's supposed to mean something, right? That's I'm like, like mean- what
2: is that? And they're like, oh, I got to keep my streak alive.
3: And I'm like, no. Yeah. I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. For, those, <laughs> for those reasons, I'm out. Yeah.
2: it's It's crazy actually to hear that Snapchat is still. Is still cooking, so oh, it's um, a live oil. There you go. Yeah, crazy. You are a public high school, and there's a lot of talent there. Uh, we talked about it before. Um, a lot of D1 players in your program. Uh, you've had draft guys. You've got big leaguers, etc. I know most people think that having that much talent is all uh, sunshine and roses, or however the saying goes. No rainy days in Southern California, but what's it like to coach so much talent over the years? And what are the challenges associated with that?
3: I mean, obviously sharing the wealth, right. Being able to distribute it and distribute it evenly. And it's never going to be even. Um, So it's just, once again, it goes back to that communication. It goes back to buy-in. And I think what the culture of the program, I think it's, uh, you know, all the, the older guys coming back and promoting what has been taught for years. And I think what, um, what was taught at a very, very early, you know, time in our program was teamwork, um, about sharing, about being good to each other. Um, and it was when we had less talented kids, we had to kind of come together as a team and really play as a unit to beat the better, more talented teams. Uh, and we kind of stayed with that model now you do it with better and better players um and the tradition has just gotten passed down um to like hey you know i, I get it you're a shortstop you've been a shortstop your whole life you may have to play the outfield or you know you were us you're a second baseman you're you're a really really good second baseman but we're going to ask you to play left field because we need your bat in the lineup or hey man i know you're really really good and you're going to be our first bat off the bench. Like, you would be starting anywhere in in the city of Huntington Beach, but here you're going to be a role player, and you're going to be our best pinch hitter off of the bench. Um, it's just them accepting those roles and not, not accepting that they're not starters. Uh, like, I don't want them to, con- like, just, oh, I'm not a starter and I give up, that kind of thing. Like, we force them to work uh, and try to strive to be a starter every single day. Um, But if it doesn't happen, it doesn't mean that they're not going to get in the game and they're not going to contribute. And then thankfully, the reputation at Huntington is good enough where we have players who don't play um, and they get college scholarships that they they don't play and they're able to move on and play at the next level. Like last year, we had 13 out of 15 kids go play college baseball um, and four of those kids barely played at all Um, the year before our, our backup shortstop he was, he was a pinch runner. He'd get in here and there. Uh, but now he's the starting shortstop at Whittier college. Um, so it's the reputation of the program is good enough where, and our players know that, that you could be a backup in our program and still continue to play college baseball and actually have quite a good career. Um, so I think they, you know, the, the, the secret is to, they need to know that we're still working for them, even though they're not one of the starters, uh, that we're pulling for them and we're trying to improve their skills.
2: Yeah, I think having all that talent could potentially be a train wreck if it's not harnessed the right way. It's kind of like having all of this energy, and if you are not harnessing the energy the right way, and it just goes in whatever direction, it creates chaos. But uh, I think it speaks to you know the culture, and I think it speaks to the foundation and, and the pillars of the program. Um, you know that you have all of these highly talented players, and it it breeds competition within them, and it makes everyone better, um, which I think is the ideal situation when you have all that talent.
3: Right. And we show them we I show them like how, you know, practice affects playing time. Like every day we uh, I I, I took a picture of what our board looks like in our our coaching office of like how we're deciding on who's going to be in the starting lineup, who's going to fill these roles. It's just kind of like a blank template of like and we're just putting names in there. And it's not always the same names, um, and it, and it really depends on how they practice. So their process is their most important thing, and they know that. Um, like today, we have a practice plan, and I see kids going in and out right now, uh, setting up, and it's like an hour before practice starts. Um, they're ready to go. It's it's almost like it is their game, um, and so they are. Their you know practice is everyone understands what practice is here, and it, it's a huge part and um i'm thankful that i still have the energy to run a practice like the the way i always have and and because it is really really important for me
2: awesome well i got like two questions left here and then if geoff has anything to say uh we can we can throw it over to him but uh do you have a favorite team in all of your years like a group of guys that you wish you could hop in the time machine and just run it back with uh for a year no disrespect to the current unit
3: my, my own teams, like over the last 24 years, I thought it was more of like the dial of the Dodgers. Um, my own teams. Oh, man. That, this is going to hurt feelings. Okay. I, I mean, I'll just, I, I, I will say this. 2017. 2017. Nick Prado, Hagen Danner's senior year. Uh, also had Josh Hahn as a sophomore had a bunch of lefties on the pitching staff. Uh, we were number one in the nation. Well, we we started number one in the nation. Uh, we went to North Carolina, uh, had our first two losses in North Carolina. Um, it was tough. And then we won, I think, 14 straight after that. We went into the playoffs. We were number one in the nation, okay? We won the Bora State Championship game uh, at UCLA. We were, if we win CIF, we're national champs, okay? Um, And we lost to El Dorado in the quarterfinals, and there's a lot that went on that game. Uh, I'm not going to go into details about the umpiring there because I mean El Dorado really did beat us, but I still have some some I'm still salty about that. Uh, but if I had to run it back again, it would be with that team because that was so it was just so fun. I don't know if I really really enjoyed watching Hagen and Nick play. Daily, like I, I I enjoyed it, but like, I really, like really let it sink in with Ralph. Being able to see Ralph for four years, and like I would even tell our guys, like, hey, just watch him, like admire this because you don't get a chance to see this that often. Um, You know, I think we were so busy trying to compete and win uh, with Nick and Hagen that I didn't enjoy it as much. So I think I would run that one back just so that I can just be a part of that daily. Um, That was such a good group, not just those two. It was it was the rest of the senior class they were so close um, that was the Little League World Series team um, they were uh, eight of them came to Huntington and they were so fun to be around and and it was it was every day like we're gonna we're about to we're about to kick somebody's ass it was it was so fun to just go to the park thinking having that mentality uh, uh, and it wasn't a cocky mentality it was just like hey we're about to work somebody over uh, and we usually did. Um, that was fun. So I'll go with that. No disrespect. If, if whoever's listening from the past, uh, sorry, but that would be the one that I would go with.
2: Um, Well, excellent. The uh, the last one, and <clears throat> you're going to have to rib him when you get out to practice because he was supposed to drop in on this thing. I gave him the link over an hour ago. <laughs> he came up with multiple excuses as to why he's not here. He's like, oh, I had to go to the post office. I was like, I told you about this yesterday. Why did you go to the post office Right as we were starting, and then his most recent excuse, he says, "Oh, oh,
3: no, is he making an appearance?"
2: He just messaged me. He said, "Still got time to join." I said, "We're talking about you right now. Let's see if he hops in here if he gets stage fright."
1: We're talking. I'll tell you what.
2: I never really took this guy as a stage fright guy, but I felt like that's what he was getting. And you know, I'm not upset. I don't feel like he he stood us up. I just feel like I'm, I'm.
3: I'm looking to see if he's going to come barging through the door right now uh, of my office. But we are talking about the the, the goat, right? We're talking about cheek.
2: We're talking we are about talking about DC. the Braden Peterson cheek. Like if you sold replica jerseys, I'd, I'd buy six.
3: I know, I know. I don't, and I think those would be the only six sold. But the, and that's <laughs> <laughs> uh, he is he is. He is loved. He is loved here at Huntington. And there's, you know, I could go on and on about Cheek. um, Along with, a, a, you know, Cheek's your favorite. I I could already see this. This People are going to be jealous and hurt because we're talking about Cheek. But um, the kid is special. You
2: can pin it on me. I will pin it
3: on you. Uh, But he is He's freaking, he's a phenomenal kid. Phenomenal
2: kid. If we're going to paint a picture here, Jeff, Sandlot, like – all the pine tar on the hat sun faded hat uh you know probably hasn't washed his practice shirt in four years like dirty <laughs> glasses like the glasses have like dust on them he's got like the tape because you had to tape them back together yeah uh you know he works in a what like three different kitchens
3: yep he works at a he works at a, a ola the mexican place uh down the street he works at uh a pizzeria, a brewery pizzeria where he's making pizzas. One of my assistant coaches went to the restaurant one time and cheek comes out and he's got flour on the side of his face and uh you know, he's got he's got pizza dough on his fingers when he shakes coach's hand and you know, he's a, he's a dog, man. He's he's one of the he's one of the all-time best uh just because he does all of that stuff. Um, but you know, you remember I don't know, you guys may be too young for this, but back in the day you used to get your hat when you hit and you used to put it in the back of your pants. That was a thing back in the day. When I was in high school, you put your helmet on and you have your hat and you'd have it tucked into the back of your pants. I got to get Cheek to do that. It would ruin the bill of your hat, but Cheek's hats a disto- is destroyed anyway. It's There's brown. nothing to
2: ruin there. Yeah. I
3: know. I, know.
2: <laughs> no, I
1: mean, I know. I'm, I'm old enough that, yes, that was something that we did. And we, we we were prior to Brim's getting flat. Uh, yeah. Everyone went flat brim because I'm I'm two I was graduating class of 2000 so I think I probably would have been, what your first year of coaching?
3: Yeah, that would have been my so, first year of coaching. That would have been well my graduating class. class. Yeah, that would have been
1: you have been my class. I mean.
3: Right, right. No, I want I want to bring that back. I think I'm going to talk to him about it. We
1: had better we had better metal bats though. Our metal True. bats
3: they they were they were legal now. Minus fives. Oh yeah. <laughs> Minus fives. There's a lot of home runs hit nowadays they would kill somebody. All he's right. not well, he's not gonna come, he's gonna be in his class. So
2: yeah, it's this guy is yeah, again, I, I'm not gonna call the goat a flake. I'm not gonna do that. Not sure. on air, not on record. Uh, but please, yeah, please do give him a little shot in the ribs for me for uh, all of his excuses. I will for sure. <laughs> Benji, thank you. Yeah, you guys are
3: great. I appreciate your time. Um I you know. Hopefully we didn't insult anybody, especially Ipono. If if I screwed up the sponsorship, uh, (laughs) you can can take it out of my paycheck, Matt. I'm sorry. Uh,
2: 403 Thursday night.
3: We're 0
1: for 20 with uh, the sandwich shop that we'll no longer name on air.
2: So I'm so not going to talk about that Delaware-based sandwich shop.
3: Why don't we just find you a different sandwich shop? There's someone out there that likes you enough to sponsor you, for goodness
2: because sake. Because we have already burned all our bridges with the other sandwich <laughs> shops. Stop
3: We've giving, ranked all of them. We've said insulting things. We've had guests say insulting things. We've said
2: giving, some really insulting things.
3: Stop giving them 45s. Stop giving them 45s. Just, Just even if you think it's a 45, give them a 65, give them a 70.
2: I mean, yeah, I think we gave, I gave Jersey Michaels a 45 and I was the second best to this, right? I'm not going to name the the name of the spot, but like Subway's a 20, you know what I mean? Like if Subway was like, Hey, we want to sponsor you. Then they'd they'd go back and see like two or three
3: episodes and they'd be like, (laughs) (laughs) we we would look back too. Right, exactly. Well, thanks guys. I appreciate it absolutely Uh, thanks
1: for tuning in everybody Uh, this is Jeff Ponce, Matt Pajak and thank our guests today Benji you
3: at Highland we're all about celebrating little wins and little ways to innovate digital processes there's no customer pain point too small for us to help with Maybe that's why more than half of the Fortune 100 looks to Highland to connect their content and data, improve processes, and turn little efficiencies into big wins for their customers and clients. Highland, intelligent content solutions for innovators everywhere at highland.com.
0: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McKrispie Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day.